All right, well, would you please take the Word of God and turn with me uh, in your Bibles to the book of Exodus and uh, chapter 20. Exodus and uh, chapter chapter 20. I um, We have been covering over the last few weeks the Ten Commandments, and our intent is to deal with not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. And um, every time, and I'll just share with you that every time after I'm finished the message, I have felt that um, I could have um, been a little better in trying to describe not just the intent of the law, but uh, the, the spirit of the law. What I'm saying is I, I could preach for about three hours, but I try to condense it. <laughs> and I'm sure you're thankful for that. Uh, my intent is also between 30 and 45 minutes. Sometimes it goes beyond that. Um, but I hope maybe that it provokes in you a desire to study more uh, on your own time and to delve into further the spirit of the law. When we're talking about the spirit of the law, what we're going to find is that we identify in the spirit of the law. Uh, when we deal with the spirit is that the spirit goes further than just the outward actions. It deals with the heart of man. And that's really what the spirit is. And we know that actually that's where it begins. And so in the sense, when we're going into dealing with the spirit of the law, we're stepping away from the letter and the intent as it is stated, but really we're going back to when we think about that behavior, it goes all the way back to the spirit of the law. And so it's important here to, uh, to go through that. Now, we've covered... The first four commandments which deal with man's relationship with God. And notice that is where everything begins. Everything begins with God. And our relationship with our fellow men and mankind to mankind uh, will spring out of a right relationship with God. And when we have a right relationship with God, all of our other relationships will be what they ought to be. And so we have to focus first on our relationship with God. That's the first four commandments. And we dealt with the fifth and the sixth commandment. The fifth commandment is honor thy father and thy mother. A wonderful commandment. I hope that the children uh, paid attention for that commandment. Uh, but we talked also about the, the spirit of that commandment. Notice it's the only commandment that is positive in the sense that it doesn't say, don't do this, don't do this. It says, do this. Honor thy father and thy mother. And in a sense, that's a positive command. And those commandments with regards to man's relationship to his fellow man begins with that first relationship. And I believe God brings that one first because if that relationship is what it ought to be, often the other ones will be what they should be as well. Uh, honor thy father and thy mother when somebody comes into this world. The first relationship that they have is a relationship with their parents. And so if they take care of that relationship, as we saw, there is a great blessing that is attached to obedience to that positive command. And then we dealt with the commandment, thou shalt not kill. And so the idea here is more than just the act of killing somebody. Uh, the spirit of the law is that there ought to be, we ought not to hold another person uh, in our minds with contempt. And that if we hold somebody in our minds with contempt, that's because we also have a contempt for God. Now, we will not admit to that, but that's the truth. And we find that when God says, don't kill man, he says, because man is created in the image of God. In the book of James, when he says, don't 
assassinate somebody's character with your tongue. Why? Because man is created in the image of God. And so if we despise man, it's indeed because we despise God. And we can't separate those two. Um, we also mentioned really that murder includes the denial of respect for a father and a mother. Uh, that it includes the extinguishing of someone's liberty and happiness. It includes the destruction or the despising of another life that ought to be cherished. And as we saw in the book of James, that we can kill with our tongue. If I lie about somebody, uh, somebody's character, in a sense I am involved in character assassination. That I'm saying something that's untrue and now in somebody else's mind, that person has died in their mind. And we have to be careful that we are do not use the poison of the tongue, but rather to use the tongue to exhort, to encourage, and all of those things. But also I, I ended with the convicting thought, and that was convicting to me, that when we think about murder, there's not just the intent of killing someone, but also there's the idea in our society as involuntary manslaughter. And when we withhold or we're being negligent, there's negligence. And uh, we have to be aware that when we don't give the gospel out, Paul said he was a debtor to the Greeks and to the barbarians to give the gospel. He felt an indebtedness. That's how he felt. That means that when you're indebted to someone, you pay something back that you owe that person. And if you withhold that from that person, then in a sense you're committing a crime. And that's the crime of negligence. And may we not be negligent by despising the souls of men by withholding from them what we ought to tell them. So that all fell under that spirit of the commandment Number six, we'll come now to commandment number seven. Notice with me in Exodus chapter 20. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Exodus chapter 20, if you're able to stand. Exodus chapter 20, we're going to begin reading as we've been adding it each week. We're going to begin reading in verse 1, read down to verse 14. The word of God says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy, uh, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, and uh, that thy days may be prolonged, uh, may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill... And verse 14, thou shalt not commit adultery. 
I'd like to preach tonight on that command, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for your word. Lord, um, help us, help me as I seek to communicate not just the letter of the law, but the spirit and the intent of the command in as far as we can carry it scripturally. Give us understanding by your spirit, guide us into the truth of your word. And help us, Lord, to have a desire to live holy because you are holy. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Before I begin, it's important for us to be reminded with these commandments that, first of all, these commandments, not just in their letter but in their spirit, have never, throughout all of human history, been perfectly kept by man. By any man, for that matter except for the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the only man that ever lived and walked in this world that fulfilled the law. Uh, No one else has been capable of fulfilling the law. And really, when we understand the spirit of the law, we understand that completely. And so when we come to those commandments here, this is not the way that a man is made righteous. The commandments were given to show that we were all guilty before God and that we needed a Savior. And so when we come to those commandments, it's a great reminder, I hope, of how desperate we needed Jesus Christ to come some 2,000 years ago and to die on the cross to pay for our sin debt. Because had He not died for us and been our substitute on the cross, none of us could redeem ourselves. We need a redemption in Christ. So it's important, although we come to those things, to understand that those things do not in themselves bring righteousness. Only Jesus Christ brings righteousness in our lives. But as believers, now that we are saved, we are commanded to live a holy life. And that life is possible, why? Because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God that enables us to live a life that's pleasing to Him. Before we were saved, we were free from righteousness. And now that we are saved and we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, we can fulfill all righteousness in the person of Christ with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible puts it this way, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, as we come to this uh, seventh commandment, Thou shalt not commit adultery, we're going to begin, as we always have with those commands, we're going to begin with the immediate interpretation, our understanding of the commandment, look at the consequences of breaking and violating that commandment, and see if we can dive in and go into the Spirit of the law. As we come here to the seventh commandment, when he says, Thou shalt not commit adultery, he's dealing with sins of morality. Uh, obviously, you have the words in the Bible, the word uh, fornication, uh, adultery, uncleanness, and all of those words speak of that which is uh, not God's design in a man's intimate relationship with a woman. Now, we could say that immorality throughout the Bible, he goes into details as to any other relationship, and God has designed the human relationship uh, with regards to marriage to be between one man and one woman, period. There are no other options. And I say that uh, very carefully because of the society we live in that has forsaken uh, God's designed and uh, God's precepts concerning the institution of marriage and intimacy in relationship. And so here we see, uh, we understand that uh, in the sense of adultery, 
The word fornication often is used in the Bible as to uh, not being intimate with somebody of the opposite sex before you're married. But adultery is don't step outside of the boundaries of marriage. Uh, uh, and if you do so, you are violating this seventh commandment. Now, as with many of the other commandments, to violate this seventh commandment brought severe consequences under the law. If you hold your place here and turn with me to the book of Leviticus. So after the book of Exodus, you have the book of Leviticus, and uh, we come to chapter 20, and then later in chapter 21, and he expounds on this with regards to the consequences. When we read initially, there are no consequences that are mentioned. He just says, don't do this. Don't commit adultery. <coughs> Leviticus chapter 20, notice verse 10. Here was the consequences. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So that was the consequences, and we understand that was the consequences for the children of Israel under a theocracy at the time, that this was the standard of God, and if anybody violated God's standard, they were to be put to death. You go to chapter 21, and verse, um, uh, he speaks uh, uh, of the daughters of the priest. Notice in verse 9, And the daughter of any priest, if she profane herself by playing the whore, she profaneth her father, she shall be burned with fire. So we see here that the, the consequences here of violating the seventh commandment, as with many other commandments. Notice, we remember, honor thy father and thy mother. If you strike, uh, if you struck your father, you would to be put to death. If you curse your father, you would to be put to death under the Old Testament law, under that theocracy. To violate that command brought severe consequences. To kill another man, to take that person's life brought also uh, the death to that person. And so these are the severest of consequences for violating uh, this seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. We see a little later, not under the theocracy, but under kings. You have King Saul and then King David. And we understand that when David was the king, what he did, we remember he took the wife of Uriah the Hittite and he committed adultery. But you remember the consequences for David after he committed adultery. Now, he was not, David was not put to death as under the law in the theocracy under God, but he was... Um, met with severe consequences. When Nathan spoke to David, he said in 2 Samuel 12, verse 10, Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Now I want you to notice here, it's very important that, <coughs> although it was David who had Uriah killed, he does not mention that particular sin in the judgment. He mentions specifically the sin of adultery in the truth that the sword would not depart from his mouth. And notice he attaches the fact that uh, he says, because thou hast despised me. You see, to commit adultery is first to despise a holy God. Any time any commandment is violated, it is first a violation against God. 
just as it was for the sin of murder. Thou shalt not kill. Why? Because man is created in the image of God. And if you take it upon yourself to murder other man, to be angry with other man, and to take his life, you're really despising God. And so, uh, they, <coughs> he was met with severe consequences. We also note that the seventh commandment, to violate the seventh commandment, really brings about, and I was trying to look at some of the other commandments, which commandment brings the most self, uh, or is most self-destructive in our own lives. And when we come to the scriptures, the scriptures mention specifically that the sin of adultery, <coughs> violating the seventh commandment, is to bring about self-destruction. Turn with me to the book of Proverbs in chapter 6. The book of Proverbs and uh, chapter 6. Notice with me, we're going to begin reading in verse 23. The Bible says here, uh, Proverbs 6, 23, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman, lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a warish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth in to his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her, shall not be innocent. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all substance of his house. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. Do you see that? I was looking throughout the scriptures and going throughout the other commandments. And I was saying, is there another commandment where it says that if you do that, you're actually involved in self-destruction and I really couldn't find another one that was as explicit as this particular commandment of not committing adultery. That if you go and commit adultery, not only do you lack understanding, but you are, uh, notice, destroying your own soul. Now, as we look here in our text in Proverbs chapter 6, we see here that he, he gives us really a, a, a set of, of uh, principles so that we don't get to that place where we destroy our own souls. Notice back in verse 25. Here is, by the way, how we can prevent that from happening in the areas in our lives where we must be very watchful. Uh, by the way, we have a society today uh, that is promoting, promoting and encouraging uh, immorality at the youngest of ages. You know, our... The public school system is uh, so depraved and so far removed from God that now even in the youngest ages, they're, they're, they're teaching children about how to protect themselves instead of saying, don't do it. They give 
things to help children do the wrong thing instead of telling them not to do it. That's the society we live in. It promotes all of this immorality. And as Christians, we're called to a different standard. And, and here, he gives us some parameters in those truths and principles. Notice in verse 25, he says this when he talks about verse 24, to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Here is what you can do to keep yourself from being in that position uh, to destroy your own soul. He says, verse 25, lust not after her beauty, here it is, in thine heart. And so what he says here is you have to guard your heart. He's talking here about the context about adultery. Uh, uh, adultery, uh, But notice here he says, where does it begin? What do we have to guard? Uh, it doesn't begin with the act. It begins in the heart. The heart must be guarded. Uh, lust not after their beauty in thine heart. And we're going to go to the teaching of Jesus Christ in, in just a moment. But he says, first of all, guard your heart. Guard your heart. He also says, the second part of verse 25, Neither let her take thee with her eyelids. What is that? He's saying not only guard your heart, but flee her influence. You're supposed to notice, he says, Neither let her take thee. Don't allow her to take you. In other words, she may influence you and draw you, but you cannot allow that. So what is he saying is flee from her influence. Uh, don't be in the same room with her. Uh, flee that place. So guard your heart, but also flee her influence. And uh, the, today I think we all understand how easy it is for us, for any, any person, to... Find whatever the flesh craves and desires with a few clicks on the phones and the computers and all of those areas. Throughout the years, people have, that have struggled with um, immorality and not in the sense that they have uh, maybe committed the act of adultery in the sense that they were married and they went out, but who have been unfaithful, who have watched things and who have put themselves in a position where they've been influenced <clears throat> to think and their heart has been captured and given to immorality we know that is done today through uh, pornography and through all those things that are found uh, online by the way that are promoted by the, the the highest trafficked websites in the world today are pornographic websites they way outweigh all of the others and our society is sick with sins of immorality. And throughout the years, people have come and said, Hey, uh, Pastor, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with this, and not to me specifically, but uh, to another pastor. And I, the, the other pastor was talking about how he encouraged this man who was trying to help him. And finally, the man was not able to get the victory. And so the pastor finally says, Well, you know what? Uh, I want you to bring your computer to me and get rid of it. And he says, I can't do that. And the pastor looked at him and says, well, I guess you don't want to get the victory over it. You see, a Christian who is addicted to immorality in his heart and in his mind, if he is truly repented, will do anything, anything to have the victory over it. Flee her influence. Don't put yourself in the position. And again, it used to be that you had to go somewhere. 
You have to be in a place, but now you can have it right in the privacy of your home. Guard your heart, flee her influence, but also there is the idea in our text in verse 26. He says, For by the means of a warish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Notice there's the idea here is that if you are involved in that type of uh, sinfulness and immorality and adultery, you really are, you really have a deep disregard for your own life. You're counting your life as worthless, as unimportant. Notice he says that it is by the means of a worse woman that a man is brought to a piece of bread. He, he is made to be nothing. The, the, the Bible says the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Those who are involved in a, 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 a adultery really have a disregard for their own lives and for their own souls. He says in verse 32, we know that because if, if you notice, as he says in verse 27, can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? What he's saying is you know it hurts you, but you keep partaking in it. Don't you know it's, it's burning you, but you still keep participating in it? You're hurting yourself. Verse 28, can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So is he that goeth into his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. He says in verse 30, Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his household. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding, he that doeth it notice destroyeth his own soul. How would somebody be willing to destroy themselves? Because they have a complete disregard for their, life, for their own lives. Can I say God deems your life very precious? And important and you ought not to disregard it but you ought to hold in the same esteem that God holds your own life guard your heart flee her influence Dis don't disregard your life because uh, the ultimate result of, a, uh, of adultery is self-destruction Peter Master says the adulterer does not care about the distinctive qualities of human nature Physical adultery lowers people to the level of beasts in their subjection to appetites and lust. Adultery is the renouncing of these distinctive human endowments, the renouncing of human status, the submission to animal urges and instincts. It is the despising and the discarding of essential human dignity and worth. And that is so true. If you hold your place here, turn with me in the New Testament when Jesus Christ addressed uh, this subject in the Sermon on the Mount. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We get now into uh, the, the, the spirit of the law. Uh, by the way, Jesus Christ, when he is teaching here through the law, he is simply interpreting the law in its original intent. He is not adding, adding anything new. He had said earlier in this chapter, I am not come to destroy the law and the prophets I've come to fulfill. He's given here the spiritual intent. And so uh, Christ's argument was not uh, with Moses or the law. He didn't disagree with Moses. He didn't disagree with the law. His argument was with the scribes and the Pharisees who had perverted the true teaching of the law. By the way, these verses are really relevant to our present society. You see, the Pharisees only had an outward show of religion. That's clearly laid out through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They only had an outward show of religion. Jesus makes it clear 
that the type of righteousness that God demands outward is not enough. Inward purity is what is demanded. The Pharisees' philosophy was uh, of what was important is they placed the emphasis on uh, what you have to do. Uh, they had influence, they had status, they had wealth uh, to make sure that it was all a public display. That was the philosophy of the Pharisees. Uh, show this and make yourself known for your religion. But Jesus' philosophy of what was important is he placed the emphasis not on what you do, but on what you are. What you are. The one promotes an outward show. The other one promotes inward sincerity and purity. In 2 Corinthians 3, 6, the Bible says, Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Notice with me in Matthew chapter uh, chapter 5. We'll read here in just a moment in verse 27. Uh, But we're reminded that the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, had been reduced during that time, and Jesus confronts them about it, to simply the mere physical act. They had taken the letter of the law, and they had reduced it to one matter. That's what they had done. Let's limit it to one thing, and it was never intended to be limited to one thing. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says that the whole purpose of the law, as Paul reminds us, was to show the exceeding sinfulness of sin. But by misunderstanding it in this way, the Pharisees had nullified it. Nowhere, perhaps, do we have such terrible exposure of sin as it really is, as in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in this particular point. Notice verse 27 of Matthew chapter 5. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So Jesus Christ uh, laid it out very clearly. You see, to the Pharisee, here is how they were teaching this commandment. They were saying, As long as you have not committed the act of adultery, then you are not guilty, you are just fine. They tried to limit the application of this divine commandment to a small and narrow area as possible. That's what they did. And Jesus comes along and he says, If you look on a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery in your heart already. And so when Jesus Christ comes on the scene, there is a a much higher standard. A much higher standard. He says, ye have heard that it had been said by them of old, thou shalt not commit adultery. Adultery is called great wickedness and it is called a sin against God. You remember what Joseph said when Potiphar's wife was trying to take him by force. He said this, I cannot do this great wickedness and sin against God. Great wickedness. That's how uh, the sin of adultery is declared in the Word of God. 
And so adultery, uh, let's get out of our mindset today. Our, our society kind of gives the idea that adultery is kind of a casual mistake that people make. And it's so pervasive in our society that certainly everybody is involved in it. It is not a misunderstanding. It is not, it is not beyond our control. People today, they call it, well, uh, he had an affair. People today may even call it, well, it's just an alternative lifestyle. Or they call it live-in marriage. Or sometimes people even call it love. No. Joseph had it right when he said, great wickedness. Great wickedness. That is what it ought to be properly called. So Jesus Christ makes a wider, deeper application of the sin that the religious uh, of the day obviously had misrepresented. The scribes and the Pharisees did not mention the heart at all. They did not mention the eyes at all that would lust uh, uh, for another relationship. And uh, so they had completely missed the point of the commandment. You see, holiness, truly, holiness is a matter of the heart. It is not merely a matter of the conduct. I was uh, listening recently to an interview and it was uh, um, a Christian debating a Jew on the issues of immorality. And the, the man who uh, claimed to be on the Christian side says, well, uh, I think it's wrong to lust. And the Jew on the other side says, it's not wrong to lust. Uh, it's wrong to commit the act. And he actually said that out loud and I thought, wow, that's exactly what they were teaching in that day. That as long as you don't are not involved in the act, then you're okay. It's not. And by the way, I, I know that it's not the same thing as far as to hate someone than to actually physically kill that person or to lust after someone than to actually committed the act of adultery with that person. But the truth is, they're all sin. It's all sin, and one is not okay. It's not okay, just because I haven't done the act. You see, holiness is a matter of the heart. It is not merely a matter of conduct. It is not only a man's deeds that count, but his desires. Not only must we not commit, but we must not covet. By the way, when he deals with covetousness a little later on in the Ten Commandments, he says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And so, covetousness is desiring, thinking that you're going to find satisfaction in that other person, and it just will not happen. It will not happen. We could go on and on to talk about here the spirit of the law. But I want us to go to the New Testament and to see what is... Uh, so we see in the Old Testament the, the law, the consequences of violating the law and the spirit of the law when Jesus Christ taught it. But how does uh, the, the first century churches, how were they to think about the sin of adultery and when we think about thou shalt not kill, the emphasis there was on don't despise, don't reject, don't deem your brother as worthless. When we think about the sin of adultery, I believe the emphasis is on this because we see that in the Old and the New Testament that the idea of adultery is connected to the idea of unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness. And the opposite positive virtue of adultery or, or don't commit adultery is be faithful 
The reason why we know that is because when the children of Israel in the Old Testament were not faithful to God, when they forsook God, God called them what? An adulterous generation. That's what God called them. We'll see that in just a moment. And so the point is, the idea that we have to have in our mind is, okay, what is the opposite positive virtue of thou shalt not commit adultery is be faithful. Be faithful to God. Be faithful to your spouse. Be faithful to your children. Be faithful to your church. Be faithful to your friends. Be faithful to your family. All of those things. Be faithful. And we're going to find throughout the Bible that anytime there is unfaithfulness, it's the idea of you're committing adultery. Now, it could not just be the act, but spiritual adultery. So let's look at that in the New Testament. <clears throat> Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You say, well, <clears throat> there wasn't, uh, the, the church doesn't have those issues. The church has those issues. As a matter of fact, it's a shame that I even know preachers and pastors. Preachers, and, and you might even know some as well. You might even know people in the church who committed adultery. Most recently, I just became aware there was a gentleman in, a gentleman in his 70s been married to his wife for over 40 years. You'd think that at that point that he wouldn't struggle with anything anymore. His wife was battling cancer and he left his wife to go and be in an oral, adulterous relationship. A man who attended church all of his life. It's shocking. It's shocking. We must not think, well, the church doesn't deal with those problems. Evidently, when we read the New Testament church epistles, they were dealing with that. Notice with me 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. He says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. He's talking, writing to the church, that is, as Thessalonica. By the way, he commended them in chapter 1 for having received the word, the word of God, not as the words of men, but the Word of God. He commended them for their faith and their example. But he says, look, this is the will of God. Uh, that you should abstain from fornication. That's pretty wide in immorality. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testify. For God also hath called us to, not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despises not man, but God, who hath also given unto us of his Holy Spirit. So notice, he's talking to Christians who have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And he says you cannot be involved in immorality as the Gentiles are. We could read 1 Corinthians chapter 5. says the same thing. As a matter of fact, in, in the church at Corinth, it was known and people in the church had somehow, although they knew it wasn't right, had accepted it, did not reprove it, did not deal with the sin, although it was publicly known. It should have been publicly dealt with and he instructs them to deal with it publicly. 
And so, as we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, adultery really begins. You say, when, when does adultery begin? Here's, here's the key. And we see that both in the Old and the New Testament. Adultery begins as soon as God's character is doubted or despised. He says, He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God. When a man commits adultery, it's not that he despises a fellow man or a fellow woman. It's that he first, first despises God. And also that he holds his own soul with disregard and worthlessness. And so the church was to stay away and we could go through, I'm pretty sure that almost every single church epistle mentions either adultery or fornication or uncleanness, effeminate, all of those immoral, uh, sins of immorality are mentioned consistently throughout the New Testament and it should not be once named among the people of God. That's what Ephesians chapter 4 tells us. Now it's interesting that both the sins in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the sin of idolatry and covetousness are spoken of as spiritual adultery. So we dealt with the sin of idolatry in the first four commandments. Uh, we'll deal with the sin of covetousness, which is the last commandment. And so some of those uh, are, are kind of meet together and have elements that they're both true. Uh, to commit adultery is also to uh, commit the sin of covetousness. To covet after uh, your neighbor's wife is to commit adultery. And so some of those are used interchangeably, but although the word covetousness, we'll get into the details of that. But idolatry and covetousness are spoken of in the Old Testament as spiritual adultery. Let me give you some examples. Turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of Jeremiah. There's many examples in the book of Jeremiah. So let's go to the book of Jeremiah, and we'll limit ourselves to this book. Jeremiah chapter 3. <clears throat> Notice Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. The Bible says, And I saw when for all of the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce, yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. And it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. So what, when he talks here about, basically he says the children of Israel committed adultery, spiritual adultery, by going after idols. By going after idols, they committed adultery. And he says that explicitly. So uh, to worship an idol spiritually is to commit adultery. We go to uh, uh, Jeremiah chapter 9. Let's look at some uh, more ways in which Jeremiah confronts uh, the people of God about their sins. And he says in Jeremiah chapter 9, uh, notice with me verse 2 and 3, he says, Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of, war of wayfaring men, that I might leave my people and go from them, for they be all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men. And they bend their tongues like their bow for lies. 
but they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth, and they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, saith the Lord. So here, the children of Israel committed adultery by not being valiant for the truth. Just fold under the truth. Forsake the truth of God. You're committing whoredom. Adultery, that's what God said. Go with me to chapter 13. Chapter 13, <clears throat> verse 25. He says, This is thy lot, the portion of thy measures from me, saith the Lord, because thou hast for, for, forgotten me and trusted in falsehood. Therefore will I discover thy skirts upon thy face, that thy shame may appear. I have seen thine adulteries and thy nyings, the lewdness of thy whoredom and thine abominations on the hills in the field. Woe unto thee, O Jerusalem! Wilt thou not be made clean? When shall it, uh, shall it, be, uh, shall it once be? So here the children of Israel committed adultery uh, by trusting in falsehoods. They trusted in falsehoods. They bought into the lies of uh, those who were uh, pagan worshipers. Notice verse 25 at the end. He says, Because thou hast for forgotten me and trusted in falsehood, you have committed adultery. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23 and uh, verse 10. He says, For the land is full of adulterers. For because of swearing, the land mourneth. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up, and their course is evil, and their force is not right. For both prophet and priest are profane. Yea, in my house have I thought their wickedness, saith the Lord. Wherefore, their way shall be unto them a slippery way in darkness. They shall be driven on and fall therein. For I will bring evil upon them even the year of their visitation, saith the Lord. And I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria, Thy prophes, uh, prophes, uh, they prophesied in Baal and caused my people Israel to err. I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. The priests commit adul adultery by causing the people to err. Hosea chapter 3 verse 1 shows us that the children of Israel committed adultery by loving other gods. According to Malachi chapter 2 verse 11, the children of Israel committed adultery by profaning, profaning the holiness of God. He says you've committed adultery. So that's the Old Testament. Is there an equivalent today for the church to commit spiritual adultery? There is. Turn with me to the book of James in chapter 4 and we're done. James chapter 4. <clears throat> Notice with me, we'll begin reading in verse 1. James chapter 4, if you look at the book, he talks about those who profess faith in Christ, but their actions really deny what they profess. There was divisions in the church. Um, the poor were neglected by the rich the rich were making the poor in the church their footstool hey come and kneel before me and I'll use you as a footstool in church <laughs> that's uh, probably imagery they said but that's how you're treating the poor in church and so he says that it's, this, this is 
this is ungodliness, this is not right. There was divisions and controversies and, and warfare in the church. And so James chapter 4 verse 1, he says this, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your own lust that war in your members? Ye lust and, and have not, ye kill and desire to have, ye cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, ye yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Notice verse 4, here is what he says. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Notice down in verse 9. He says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. So what does He say? How can those who are believers today, who are part of the church, how, can, how does God look upon us as in the sense of the spirit of the law, how does God look at us as adulterers? He looks at us as adulterers when we love the world too much. You remember Paul was serving God and Demas forsook him. And Paul says, Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world. And we might properly say that Demas was an adulterer. He violated the seventh commandment because he loved the world more than he loved God. He was attached to the world. When we think about the world, uh, we know that the world has the idea of uh, the, the way uh, society works and <clears throat> all the things that we find uh, in this world. He says here in our text that friendship of the world is enmity with God. And so if we find ourselves to be a friend of the world, then we are the enemy of God. And what, it, what does it mean to be a, a friend of the world? Well, you accept what the world has to offer. You, lived for, you live for the temporal. You live for the temporal. You know, we live in a society today, it is quite sad, that values entertainment. I have nothing against... I have nothing against... Um, uh, you could say a, a football game. I might enjoy it every once in a while to watch a football game. But you know what has happened with churches today is Super Bowl comes around and so they cancel their Sunday evening service. And they project the football game on the screen during the church service. Let me say, there is nothing wrong with a football game in of itself. It's not moral or immoral. But that is part of the world. We're not going to be playing football in heaven. It's part of the world system. And when we forsake the assembling of God's people for the worship of God, and when we place a priority on things that are worldly, that's adultery. That's adultery. If we look at our own lives and we say, how are we organizing our lives? What does our lives revolve around? Does my life revolve around God or does my life revolve around the world? Around the world. 
the world, the world, the Bible says, now this is the words of Jesus Christ. The world hates Jesus Christ. And the reason why the world hates Jesus Christ is because Jesus is not of the world. And he told those who would follow him as disciples, he says, don't be surprised if the world hates you because you know that it hated me before it hated you. Let me encourage you here. We are not seeking as we live and we conduct ourselves as a church in this world, we are not seeking for the approval of the world. We are seeking for the approval of God and Him alone. And so the way we conduct our business is not to try to impress the world, to draw the world. We're there to exalt God. So that people, as they might come to church and they might see a place, they exalt God there. This is something that's completely different than what's in the world. And I hope that what we're offering here in this place is something that's completely different than what's in the world. For the Christian to be more interested in the things of the world, more interested in their careers, more interested in their paychecks, more interested in the activities on Sunday. More act interested in things worldly than to serve God. Then just like the children of Israel in the Old Testament committed adultery, we can also commit spiritual adultery against the God who loves us and gave himself for us. And by the way, those who are part of the church are called the bride of Christ. You know what a bride does? She completely give her, gives herself to her husband 100%. She doesn't say, I'll be faithful to you, but I'm going to run around here, I'm going to run around here, and I'm going to have other priorities in my life. No, our whole life surrounds the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the husband, and we have a relationship with Him, and so we don't give ourselves to anything and anyone else in the world because He is to have the preeminence, be preeminent in our own lives. And so may the Lord help us as Christians, not only not to commit the act of adultery, whether it is an act of or in our own hearts and in our own minds. But we may never commit spiritual adultery against God.